Hello and welcome back to Adventures in Humaning. How are you guys doing? How you doing, Meredith? I'm doing well, Frank. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Kind of excited about this one. This is a this is an interesting topic that has a real a real nice way of explaining. And this was your idea of taking <laughs> <laughs> taking something we think of as an extreme environment. And I think we all we all do this when someone says extreme environment. We all, our mind automatically goes to something either really, really hot or really, really cold or really, really high or really, really deep or low and uh, to some sort of just extreme conditions that almost test the limits of human survivability. And you sort of twisted that around and you pose the question, what if the environment that we normally consider the most safe, the most docile, is actually, in reality, by some perspectives, actually the most extreme environment. That's right, yeah. So it's our indoor environment. Yes. And um, we have planned this to be a series because there are just so many different ways you can spin this idea of an extreme indoor environment. And um, this is the first in the series, and we've decided not to say it's how many parts we're going to have, because I think, I think we'll keep adding to this over time. Uh, but over the next couple of weeks, we'll have a few other uh, parts to this series as well. And in this particular part is about something that is totally my jam. <laughs> I love studying bacteria, so it's Our pretty old friends. That's right. It's pretty extreme on the inside of your home. It is. It is. So I encourage you, the listener, to join us with an open mind and maybe challenge your perspective and look at this from a different angle and uh, see what comes up in your mind and uh, share that with us. Sure. You want to tell them where? <laughs> Wherever you want. <laughs> Share it with, you know, wherever you want. You know, come by. Uh, you know, I'm here during the day. Stop yeah, it. Right. Just go outside and scream it because then you're outside. Uh, <laughs> That's cool. Send a carrier pigeon. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're on Twitter um, <laughs> at Just Humaning. I think if you search Adventures in Humaning, it'll also come up. Yeah, just, um, just come share your ideas on the Adventures in Humaning Facebook page. You can find it on Facebook. Just search Adventures in Humaning. So I hope you enjoy this. Let's yes. Get to it. Let's get to it, huh? So, um, let's talk about super extreme environments. Super extreme environments. Super extreme environments. So I happen to know, because I like living things. <laughs> yeah, they're um, my favorite, too. Right. <laughs> that there are pretty extreme environments in the world and the particularly bacteria is what I um, kind of is my jam. So they exist in places that we never expect they would, right? Mid-ocean ridges. Right. Seven miles deep into the crust of the earth. Yes. 
by the volcanic. And sp- and apparently those guys only do one thing every one thousand years that gives anyone any clue that they're actually alive. Wow. So pretty extreme. And then there's ice that yeah. bacteria live in and critters and like algae. And there's like the top of the world that things thrive on up in the top of the Himalayas. And right. what else? Like hot springs. Right. Uh, right. Hot those springs. are all pretty and extreme, right? Isn't the uh, bacteria the only thing to go out into unprotected space and come back and actually still Yeah, I guess there's some... Um, yeah. That's a theory of <laughs> getting life around the universe is on random rocks flying through the air <laughs> that come down to Earth. <laughs> that's, Crazy. Pretty, that's pretty extreme. And um, what I think, given all of this information, and if you ask any human how extreme like where's the most extreme place they've ever been i've heard things like the north slope of alaska or diving to x number of feet or you know all these things that are sure they're pretty uncommon for people to be at but i would argue that one of the most extreme places that we can be is inside our home Yes, it's extreme, but we don't view it that way. So why is that? What makes that so extreme? There's like a gazillion reasons why that's really <laughs> extreme. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll get a pen and paper. Let's All right, list them. let's do it. So okay, start with one. Start with one. Okay, so <laughs> we as humans evolved outside for the most part of our time here on this earth and have only recently moved indoors recently i mean recently hundreds thousands of years um in the the perspective of the entire human evolution yeah right as compared to what it depends on what you're what you're calling the perspective of human evolution if it's a hundred a couple hundred thousand years or a couple million years um but either one it's still either one it's relatively new it's a blip on the face of what we're doing um and not that we can't adapt to this environment but i think what it the interesting point is well we are adapting to this environment and is that adaptation beneficial exactly so Inside, and what I've been learning about, if we go back to bacteria, because they they colonize the hell out of every space available, uh, right. oftentimes very opportunistic. Uh, I think everybody knows about superbugs and that kind of stuff. Like if you're in right. a hospital, right, it's a very right. sterile, on purpose, sterile environment. And that's where some of these superbugs are kind of brewing <laughs> because yeah, they yeah. survive where nothing else does they're kind of being... like they, they couldn't possibly have evolved into superbugs without that environment that right. was the only pressure that could have possibly created them right when you think of it uh when you think of all these extreme 
ability to adapt that these bugs have, well, they were their, they were the first life forms on the planet. So they've had the entire spectrum of life on Earth to adapt to all these different things. And we are far and by and far the, the newcomers on the block. Right, we right. We are the new kids on the block. <laughs> N-K-O-T-B. <laughs> it came off really quick. <laughs> Shame on you. I did not want to go there. Uh, so, yeah, over 4 billion years ago. Right. Four billion years ago. In fact, one of the guys in the geology department here in Wisconsin, he and his graduate students uh, have so far identified some of the oldest rocks on Earth as being, I think, 4.1 billion years. Um, oldest sedimentary rocks on right, Earth. Right. Because that Not means... Like Mick Jagger or yeah, Aerosmith. Right. Or, or volcanic. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which means there was water, moving water on Earth at that point. Um, which just creates another we, uh, an environment that we know of today that's teeming with single-celled organisms. So as a geologist, you're, you're very used to looking at things on that perspective timescale. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think that's what's maybe missing in a, a modern context of oh, how we view everything. I think missing maybe is, well, I, it, I think it, it's beneficial to think on that time scale for sure. I think it's really useful to have an awareness that uh, of the amount of time humans have been on earth for sure, compared to the amount of time earth has been here. <laughs> and, right. um, and this bacteria, of course, uh, th- this was a, uh, an argument I had in graduate school, an argument is not the right word. We had a debate, debate in paleobiology class, and the question was posed to us, who is superior, humans or bacteria? And I'm not, I can't recall if we were given sides to debate or we got to pick sides, but I feel like the consensus was that humans were clearly superior because we have, for the sole purpose sole reason that we've harnessed our environment and and can live in we can live in extreme outdoor conditions and um sort of moderate indoor conditions right we have a really rain small range of comfort zone on the inside um but we because we're so high techy and um can build stuff and have advanced brains that was the argument um, and we can create massive food systems, and we can travel all over the world. So we've really clearly done some awesome things. Right. Um, but. And that was that was the consensus consensus in the beginning of the debate was yeah. that humans were pretty much going to win. They're the winners. Yeah. And at the, the end. That well, there's an incredibly <laughs> strong case for the single-celled bacteria as being far right. superior to human beings. Because they do all these things that you were saying, you know, traveling the earth and, and, you know, terraforming the environment, that kind of thing. Yeah. They do all these things without the technology and in many cases just with a single cell. Right. Like they do everything we can do but more efficiently, better. Well, and um, they've been doing it for a shit ton longer. <laughs> yeah. And relatively unchanged over the course of that time. And they can uh, reproduce before you snap your fingers um, and they can yeah. really take over any niche in 
in times that we can't even imagine. Right. And they have taken over us. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> there's yeah. they and we we've, we've only kind of recently recognize that importance or i guess they're trying to figure out that importance like who's there we don't even yeah we we have no lens to look through that through our our being through the the context of them being there with us right and it and if you even really want to push it a little further to say that they've taken over us might be a little bit inaccurate because you say they've been here before us during us through every stage of evolution and are still here. Yeah. So they've they've been with us the whole time. Yeah, co-evolved with us. Some, yeah. And some of them are beneficial, for sure. We've mm-hmm. figured out that they are. Uh, some of them just hang out. and Maybe even can, necessary. Right. Absolutely necessary. Uh, making vitamins, training your immune system. Um, what else? Digesting and fermenting food in your gut. Yeah. So, I mean, these are things that we don't have, we don't live yeah. uh, very long for. But also, um, there's some of them that don't do anything. They just hang out. They're, I don't know, they call them commensal. They call them, they're just like freeloaders, pretty much. We provide yeah. them with a home. And then they probably have some benefit. We just haven't figured that out yet. And then there are some that are pathogenic. And... Right. Those guys. And just like any community, um, like your community and my community, not not on our bodies, but like where we actually live, there's a balance of um, the beneficial <laughs> and the pathogenic. Right. Right. <laughs> and when it's sort of anarchy, um, so the bad guys can kind of take over and fill that niche. But when things are balanced and everybody's working together nice and there's some natural rules in place, then the pathogenic can coexist with the beneficial um, and you can remain healthy. Right. So it's like the medical definition of homeostasis perhaps needs to be expanded because it's not just blood temperature regulation, blood pressure regulation, you know, acid pH balance and stuff like that. It's actually true homeostasis uh, as a more broad term would involve homeostasis of your gut uh, or or your entire body microflora. Yeah. Not just your gut but your skin and And the and whole those, nine yards. And yeah. those things that you're saying are things that we can directly measure right now. And so that's right. what that's why they've become very important because they're easy metrics to follow and track over time. Where is your microbiome? Uh, I guess we can figure out yeah. who's there. We probably can't figure out everybody yet because they're just trying to learn them oh. all. And but, it changes in like six seconds. It's an entirely different microbiome. Yeah. Like if you travel... Oh. You travel somewhere else, you get yeah. a do- you get a dose of some new culture, some new right. community, and uh, or someone someone scares the shit out of you. That's it. <laughs> a minute later, <laughs> microbiome's different. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Like internal cortisol bath, right? That right. And it changes all. It changes everything. So right. uh, we're not quite there where we can measure it, but at least we understand that it's important. Yeah. Yeah. So the bottom line is that we have this relationship with bacteria and from the extreme indoor environment perspective 
Um, we may think we're cutting ourselves off from this bacterial community that we co-evolved with outside. And right. in fact, we may be. And, and because when we move inside, we're sort of not, we're opting out of nature's rules. We're kind of opting into the rules we created for ourselves. Everybody makes a home right. for wherever it is you live. Um, the inside of your home is, is for your comfort. It's your design. It's you, right. you pick what's there. You manage how sterile and clean it is. Everything about it is your domain. Whereas when you're outside, you're not in, it's not necessarily yeah. your domain. It's, it's the ecosystem and you're just part of it yeah. when you're out there. Right. And, and the, I, this is a long way to get to this point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take the meandering route. Okay, cool. So <laughs> a lot of the things that I'm learning about lately are about who colonizes natural things versus man-made things and what that balance is. You know, for example, if you wear clothing that's made out of a natural material like cotton, the ecosystem of that clothing that touches your skin is going to kind of mimic your own ecosystem. But if you wear something like polyester, which is a man-made fiber. Synthetic, yeah. Um, the ecosystem that develops and is cultivated by that synthetic fiber does not mimic your natural ecosystem. It goes rogue. Right. Right. Yeah. And we see, uh, we see a lot of that in body odors and stuff like that. We've got companies even doing a large amount of research and development on that, like, uh, Under Armour trying to figure out, uh, different materials uh, but their entire their entire scope is human comfort and maybe there's a missing piece that might need to be studied or maybe what's going to happen with these synthetic materials that are doing different things like like moisture wicking and stuff like that uh, I think we'll begin to see the effects of that in a few years and we'll be able to make some you know correlations onto what's going on and how that affects our our microbiome and why maybe uh, some natural materials are just better. Well, and that's something that people are studying. Or not. And, we'll it and yeah. it's, it's kind of an interesting, oh, there's a paper out there about like the, the community that's in your washing machine <laughs> and how. <laughs> we don't um, even want to think about that, right? Well, it's base. It's interesting. I mean, just as you might suspect, Everyone who lives in your household commingles their laundry and it ends up in the washing machine. And then basically it's a redistribution of everybody's funk. (laughs) 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 And, um, and dryers aren't, are typically not hot enough to sterilize. Right. Um, and in protect, in particular, if you have a dryer that's on a timer and it turns off before your clothes are actually dry, it'll sit there in sort oh. of dampness and it'll just, it'll kind of, you know, brew the commingled stew of your family. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. um. You can tell sometimes too. You open that dryer, you figure it out. It's, 
you get that sense that yeah yeah that it's off right it's off. yeah yeah like, you or, can't put a finger on it sometimes especially yeah. if you've uh put it in the dryer and left the house and you come back later yeah and then like towels every once in a while you'll have like a towel that's oh. just like what's wrong with this towel it's it's got this i've washed it and washed it and washed it but it still has yeah. this um, and you just kind of have to burn it <laughs> at that yeah. time because it, you, there's nothing you can do. Yep. But maybe there is because if you brought it outside oh. um, and let it hang dry, let it let the sun hit it, which is sort of a natural disinfectant, and you bring it back to its um, to our native environment, you may be able to breathe some life into it. Right. Right. Possibly. And there's even there's even science to back that. We don't have to. I know a lot of times we end up waiting for science to catch up with, uh, you know, our our home remedy type stuff. But just putting clothes out on the line, uh, we already know because the medical industry uses it, and um, like water cleansing industries use it, where infrared um, cleanses stuff like materials and water and things like that. Well, where do you get infrared naturally? Yeah, I mean, the sun is, is a there really is. good uh, disinfection yeah. machine brought to you by nature. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we by, should get the sun to sponsor we, this podcast. Oh my gosh, sun would be an awesome sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I could get behind that. Yeah. So what else though? Because it's not just your clothes or your bed. I mean, you're sleeping, yeah. sleeping in a bed that um, so many variables, right? Of, so many. Of, so many. Not even just bacteria, but there's a whole host of other things that are going on. Right. And then, and that's pretty extreme right. that in your, uh, in your house. That yeah. little, I, that, I love that, that concept of people thinking of extreme environments as, you know, the, the top of uh, the Himalayans or, you know, the bottom of the, of the ocean. But it's, it, we are exposing ourselves to some seriously extreme, you know, considering to what our, our genetics and our epigenetics expect of us, it's almost more extreme. It is more extreme inside. And uh, it's, it's, it's definitely noteworthy to put this out there yeah. and get people to, ha- you know, just maybe have a conversation about it. Right. And like, look at it that way. How is there, it, how is it yeah. different? How are each bits and pieces of your home environment different? And with respect to bacteria, there's another little story that I could share. Um, so I brew kombucha. Heck Yeah. Which is, um, if, if anybody doesn't know what it is, it's a fermented tea. So you make black tea, put some sugar in it, and you throw what's called a SCOBY on top, symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. That's the stuff. That's the stuff. Awesome. And then it, mother. Right. And it ferments, it, it's live, it eats the sugar, and it ferments your tea. Well, if your house is too clean, if you have like a HEPA filter or any serious right. filters on your home... Um, you may not be successful in fermenting kombucha or any other sort of kitchen science you do because you're you're eliminating your natural house microflora. Right. Right. There was a there's actually a, a kombucha company that uh, uh, I listened to an interview where they had that exact problem. They were they were going commercial and they were having a lot of problems getting the cultures to to ferment because they were doing it in a very sterile environment and they had to they had to change that just open up some windows basically it was all it was uh 
Yeah, I mean, and there's, a, so, there's yeah. a huge history of fermenting uh, liquids <laughs> naturally. Yeah, there is. Beers and wines and such. Um, they won't work if you're in a sterile environment. Um, so I guess tip two after dry, you know, air dry right. your laundry is to rethink your how sterile you want your indoor space to be. And that's exactly what's going on inside our bodies in a lot of ways. We're using a lot of these uh, the, the, these soaps and and hand washes and uh, and antibiotics like administered medically constantly, uh, almost as a rite of passage it seems. Um, and that's what's going on inside of our bodies. We're changing the environment to where it's it doesn't have the proper context to do what it's supposed to do naturally. We're getting in our own way of becoming healthy or living healthy and thriving. Right. There's what a mirror you, there. What do you know about soil bacteria? Uh, it lives in the soil. It does. <laughs> <laughs> How do we get it? Uh, well, we eat it. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, we, we, our food comes from the soil one way or another. Well, a large majority of our food comes from the soil. Right. And uh, a lot of times the stuff that uh, we get in the stores, I had this conversation with someone yesterday, uh, the, the probiotics that you get, and people were confused because they had the Megaspore, which is a a really good um, soil-based probiotic. And she was confused. She's like, I don't understand because every other probiotic I've gotten, I've had to put in the refrigerator because that's how you keep the cultures alive. I was like, well, yes, because you are supposed to keep those in there because they're a different kind of probiotic. This is a soil-based probiotic where it's in a spore form and it has to survive your intestinal system to get where, or your digestive system to get to your intestines where it's supposed to work. And that's, just the natural flow of things. And we don't have a lot of those at all. Mm -mm. You're so right, because right. that's nature's way of surviving extreme environments is this, it's spore technology. And um, finally, there are certain um, companies that are using that biomimicry that what is, how does nature do it? Yes. To survive your stomach acid, because I, I'm just going to totally pull stuff, like make stuff up right now. Um, but <laughs> I'm going to guess that a good portion of any probiotic supplements that people take don't right. survive your stomach acid. They aren't designed to right. thrive. And, and maybe that's why they put a billion cells and exactly. a billion bacteria in there so that a few of them actually make it through. Mm. Um, but and then, then they don't. They're not administered with a prebiotic either, which is naturally where it would come from. Like, for instance, sauerkraut. You're not just getting the probiotics. You're getting the prebiotics from the fermented cabbage itself, all that fiber and yeah. the juices and the salts and the yeah. electrolytes and all these things that support that system because you're eating sort of uh, an ecosystem in a way, right. the ecosystem of the sauerkraut, like a, a pseudo-ecosystem or a yeah. mini-ecosystem. Yeah. Right. I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, it's good. It's good. That's good. And you have to define what a prebiotic is. Oh, well, is probiotics, which are the, the little bugs and stuff that are what we're talking about, which is a very big term, and that's a very official term, bugs and stuff. You can right. look it up. Yep. And then there's uh, the prebiotics are what feed those. Right. Their food. Right. right. Yeah. So you're eating, their, you're eating an entire ecosystem. You're not just eating. So if you ate just probiotics, but you didn't give them anything right. to, to eat, yeah. give them That'd anything be, to eat. Be a very short-lived life for them. Right. They're tourists. They're totally tourists. They're not going to take up 
residents right. in your body. And if you don't give them some snacks to survive the trip, <laughs> they're really not going to help you. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So how else is, uh, how else is indoor environment extreme with respect to bacteria? I think if you look at, I, I think the hospital environment is a really perfect place to look because, yeah. um, and this is like a whole hospital environment, maybe a whole nother show, but it's, um, on purpose sterile for the immune suppressed people that congregate there. Right. <laughs> and, um, when something is, when you wipe out an entire ecosystem from the surface of tables and instruments and hospital gowns and um wow i wonder if hospital gowns are synthetic or if they're natural that's an interesting question yeah, that's a good question they're probably natural i guess i wouldn't we shouldn't assume that but um or they're probably disposable yeah because that's how <laughs> we roll um that's how we do it well there's an awful lot of crocs in hospitals those aren't natural that's true that's <laughs> true i mean they're probably blitzed with some yeah, probably. Something to sterilize them, which, um, wow. So just think about, I, it just, the more I think about it, the more filthy it actually seems <laughs> right. to sterilize something. Right. And to, and, yeah, we think of it as a sterile environment, but is it? It really isn't. All we're doing is wiping out what's already there, good and bad, in this big blanket wipeout, you know, techniques that we do with our sterilization. And yet we're, we're constantly being inundated with all the sick people. Right. So that homeostasis of bacteria, that homeostasis of all the bugs and stuff that we count on to create that healthy balance, we are, we're basically fighting a war for the bad guys. Right. We're like, we're on their side and we don't even know it. Right. We're opting out of the natural system and we don't even know it. And I think, um, I think the argument people would have for us right now is that, but what about things like flu and hand washing? And well, I think that's fine. I think that you want to, yeah. I don't think we're arguing for rubbing ourselves against other sick people necessarily. No, but and yeah, but, that's, that's been proven too, because wasn't hand washing itself was a, it was a fad. It was basically a fad when it, it happened back in, uh, I don't even remember the time, but I remember the story. There was a doctor and there was a big outbreak of, of infections and child deaths and, um, and labor deaths, the women giving birth deaths. And uh, this one very forward-thinking doctor uh, figured out, it's like, maybe there's something we're transmitting. You know, I don't think they understood the idea of bacteria yet. But he had the idea to just wash hands and change clothes and just sort of clean up a little because they were practicing on, yes, doctors will do, they were practicing on bodies in the morgue. And they were just running straight up into the delivery rooms and doing what they needed to do, delivering babies. And that was evidently what was causing the problems. And they, he actually ended up getting fired. They kicked him out of the they, – they berated him. They publicly humili humiliated him and kicked him out of the hospital. And he had to go to a different hospital who had more forward-thinking, you know, I guess, staff. And eventually that caught on. And little by little, here we are. You know, we understand that, you know, our quality of life has gone up quite a bit. But uh, – and, yeah, so washing hands was a fad. and But it does have its place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's 
because we have this extreme indoor environment and because we are right. um, commingling in it, we right. run the risk of infecting each other with pathogens. And so it, it's um, hand washing is a useful strategy to protect yourself hand like sterilization might be taking it too extreme right. because then if you're removing if you consider that some of the bugs on your hands are actually helping you in your immune system and you take them away you may be opening yourself up for right ick the bad guys to come in right and in a way it's like the washing of the hands is sort of a it's the band-aid that goes on top of the civilization the problems that are caused by civilization right which uh i don't think we're gonna get rid of anytime soon so no so that's <laughs> yeah, a good strategy <laughs> right exactly especially so, before surgery for yeah. sure Mecha you know yeah and they there's a lot of work on just mechan the mechanics of just scrubbing your hands even without yeah. soap just get it underwater and scrub your hands together and you can get rid of a lot of right. pathogens you don't have to um, nuke your hands to do that. You can do it naturally. It does. It happens naturally. So. Right. Indeed. Or, yeah. Um, so more bugs inside the house. Where else? Oh, like so. Um, interesting that we live in these extreme environments, and then we've domesticated pets. Yeah. So now, for example, I have boxes of cat poop in my house. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably, if I were living outside, uh, I would be amongst all sorts of poop, I guess, but not necessarily concentrated boxes right. of, I, I mean, yeah, that's, so that's, you, that's pretty extreme. <laughs> it is pretty extreme. And it's not like a box of chocolates. You do know what you're going to get when you open that box. So <laughs> stay away from it. <laughs> But and there, and and there's other other pets too, right? Just yeah, not and it's so it's in your extreme environment, and it's taken away from the natural processes that would that are available to break that stuff down. You know, out out in the out in the wilderness, out in the fields. You know, when a when a, a cow or a bovine of some sort is roaming through the fields, and it goes to the bathroom. You know, it's it walks away, and what's usually a lot of times what follows these herds of ruminants are birds and things like that. They try to mimic that with cows and chickens. You know, and they come in, and you know, flies and stuff will, will lay their eggs in there, and the larvae will hatch, and that's fantastic food for some of these animals that have found a niche. But also, like the chicken poop itself will neutralize a lot of uh, a lot of the, the properties and fertilizer of of the bovines' poop. So here you go. And then also chicken scratch. They, you know, they move it around while they're getting it and they spread it around so it's not concentrated in one spot. And then there you go. Right. And they I mean, aerate, it's a whole they system. aerate the ground and they kick up all this soil bacteria, which go to work. Right. And so if you have a box of cat poop in your house, it's typically, I don't know, um, I've got clumping clay litter stuff right so that's probably doesn't come with a bunch of soil bacteria <laughs> but now i'm thinking like if this doesn't exist frank this is a really good idea i like where you're going i like where you're going with that like sprinkle soil probiotic so soil bacteria on your boxes like yeah. yeah except then you need like a foot washing station <laughs> 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 good luck getting a cat to do that 
<laughs> Damn it, Fluffy. Lost <laughs> awesome. Oh, bad Fluffy. Yeah. And I think a kitchen is another place where, in a, a, akin to a hospital, not quite, quite as sterile as a hospital, I suspect, but it's a place where we really, um, we've got a lot of synthetic surfaces. And um, if, if, like, we promote everybody cooks for themselves from scratch at home, um, they're going to want to clean. If the, and, yeah. and some people clean like... Hopefully. <laughs> seri- some people clean pretty seriously. And um, I don't know, just maybe another place to kind of... Not, I wouldn't say be filthy, but it would be right. a place to not necessarily use the Clorox wipes, but just... There's a lot to be said for natural cleansers. Um, just apple cider vinegar or vinegar, white vinegar, right. uh, generally speaking, is just a magnificent cleanser for stuff like in the household. Right. Uh, yeah, even raw chicken. It will it will disinfect areas that you're cooking raw chicken on. Yeah. And, of it's... course, this, that, that's a whole other th- – I mean, we could just – the tangents are just uh, like – could go on and on forever but if you're if you're eating uh local raised organic you know pastured chickens your chances of having these you know extreme outbreaks of simonella and stuff like that are severely reduced you know it's 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 not a foolproof system but it's it's definitely a better system because they're healthier yeah, they're healthier. They don't they don't need to live around these diseases because they're not in, you know, little teeny tiny little cages living in their own feces for an entire lifetime. Right. Which is unnaturally shortened through hormones. But Right. Oh yeah, that is a hor- yeah. horrible like It's it's criminal practically. Yeah, it is. Well, should be, I think. Should be. That's just me. That's not just you. That's not. How you, that's not yeah, it's not just me. It's that's not just you. Like you don't. You know, you have chickens. I do. You don't. You don't, you don't keep those girls locked up in a little shoebox cage for their entire no. life. No, they're out working in Where my garden right now. Right now. Get to work. That's get right. to work, chickens. Why we get you? <laughs> Got to put it to work. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we leave them out all day. Um, obviously, we're taking chances that predators aren't going to come by we do have big birds big raptors that have been known in the city to come take out um chickens but they also have a pretty decent awareness of their surroundings and when they get spooked they all congregate under a table or they head back to the coop and they've got sort of survival instincts and um they're in a pretty safe environment here we're pretty urban about that How about that? They have they have natural defenses, they do. and and in a lot of ways, that's like when I was working uh, way back when I was working in the produce section of a uh, you know a, a big chain supermarket. Um, there, when you'd get a box of apples or oranges or whatever or romaine, anything you'd get, there was a certain expectation that about ten percent of it wasn't going to be usable, you know, and you'd have to call that out. It just you know just all of it doesn't make it. That's just the way it is. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, sometimes you know the birds have to eat. You are living in that environment. Is it, is it really a tragedy that uh, a, a hawk got a bird? You know, once every few years you lose a bird, or you know, maybe even once. You know, is that really a tragedy? I don't know. I mean, there's a cost to everything, and yeah. you are using that space to cultivate birds, 
that space is taken away from where that bird can hunt normally. Right. Doesn't seem like a a bad bird to there's, me. There's another um, point about backyard chickens with respect to extreme environments too, because we get I don't know two and a half dozen eggs a week out of the four birds during the nice. serious daylight seasons. Um, and we bring them inside and we just store them on the counter because right. they have, those eggs are covered in, they have their own ecosystem that is protecting them from spoiling. The the chick, uh, the eggs you get at the grocery store have been cl- cleaned and sanitized in a way. They've, it's, they've, their ecosystem has been removed yes, and exactly. you need to keep them in the refrigerator because... Um, there's no natural protection left. And so that's a another way to kind of look at, I mean, in my, I have store-bought eggs in my fridge. We we buy them to let them sit around for a while so we can make hard-boiled eggs. And because yeah. uh, I don't want to hard-boil my chicken's eggs because they're, I want them, <laughs> I want them to be nearly raw when I eat them pretty much. Because yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what I'm getting there. But, exactly. But that's, um, that's uh, just another bit to this whole yeah. uh, bringing in the the outside ecosystem and yeah. kind of cultivating that um, in your extreme indoor environment, not too shabby. Yeah, yeah, that's a just another example of how stepping away from the natural processes. There's, uh, you know, Mother Nature has a long time to develop these, and that egg is a perfect example. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a complete protein right off the bat, so it's a fantastic source of food, but it's got that that layer. Uh, I think it's called a cuticle or something like that. I was talking about this with a farmer friend of mine, and she had the same the same problem trying to explain to people that yeah, you don't have to refrigerate them because of this membrane that's on it. It gets washed off and sprayed down with hot water, and then misted with like chlorine spray and stuff like that. And sometimes they're actually bleached on the outside. But an egg looks like a hard a hard like completely sealed surface, but it's not. It's porous. Mm-hmm. And stuff can get in and stuff can get out, but nature already has that taken care of. There's a protective layer already on there, supplied by Mama Hen, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yep. You really don't have to do a whole hell of a lot. Awesome. So um, this has been this is seriously part one of I don't know how many parts of extreme indoor environment. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, it could be hundreds. Could be hundreds, but I think um, bacteria and having the kind of compare and contrast it's something we're starting to just learn about these ecosystems on the outside who's there and what they do and um but disconnecting yourself from that natural bacterial ecosystem on the outside and um having uh a completely well having synthetic things in the house synthetic clothing and weird cleaning tendencies <laughs> yeah. which i i don't it. actually have <laughs> nobody in my yeah. house is clean <laughs> yes, I, I completely i'm cultivating that. strength here <laughs> um but i think that's a really big um Set. you can't see it and this is something you have to uh i don't i don't want to say believe because it's not something magical necessarily it's real but you it have is. to um um, Open I your mind to it. Be yeah. gracious to the 
natural bacteria and give them natural surfaces to co uh, colonize, basically. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. If you, I mean, opt out if you want, but understand that you are opting out. I mean, there's a lot of people living inside thinking that there, that there is no effect to that, right. that there is no, no price to pay. Mm -hmm. uh, at least be knowledgeable of it. Yep. I mean, make your own choices, of course, but uh, when you do that, you're opting out from a system that's been in place for a damn long time, and it's a really good system. Right. Getting out in the dirt and playing in the dirt is, it's not a bad thing. And it's so stigmatized, especially just, just a, from me growing up as a kid to now. It, it, just in that one generational time span, uh, the, the, the ideals of society and, and, and allowing kids to play in the dirt has changed so much. And it's, it's uh, we, we, use, we use this example a lot, but I think it's valid here too. Your, your house, in a way, is a cast. It's a it's a form of a cast, and it's casting you uh, certain biological expressions that you're supposed to have. And when you're inside, in a ways, you're you're cutting yourself off from that. So your body isn't going to create all these uh, antibodies and all these immunity and this robust system if it's not if it doesn't have to if it's not exposed to anything, it won't do it. Just like. You know, you want to you know, you put a couple of inches on your arms, well, you've got to lift some weight. Everybody understands that. That's, that's a simple concept that people understand. Well, your immune system works along the same lines of those hermetic stresses. And if you do not expose yourself to anything, that system will not develop. You need challenge. And when, and when you need a robust system later on in life, you don't have it. You know, like when you, when you break your arm and you're in a cast... Do you take your do you take your cast off and jump right onto the chin up bar and try and knock out some chin ups like you did just before? No, you don't. You can't because you have atrophied. The system of your muscles has atrophied to a point where you can't deal with that exposure of trying to do a chin up. That's the same thing. When you're exposed to these common colds and stuff like that, you can't fight them off because your your system has been atrophied by not using it, by by sterilizing your environment, by blasting. By your extreme in, indoor environment. By your extreme indoor <laughs> Awesome. No, high five. High five. Bam. <laughs> okay. okay, so I wanted to add something to the end of this show. Because <laughs> there's something I said in it. I said something about the sun as a natural disinfection machine. And turns out that's not that's not really the best um word for the job um and you know upon further review disinfection is really um kind of the problem i think we talked about that in the hospital environments as being part of the problem there where everything's kind of sterilized so you're not actively seeking sterilization of your laundry um but you would like I think I would like to have uh, an ecosystem in that laundry that was natural. And by putting your clothes on the line, you um, sort of are rewilding them in some way um, so that you're balancing that ecosystem and you're not, um, so you're not out there to kill the pathogens so much as to welcome the beneficial bacteria into them. And so yeah. I, I think possibly um, disinfection as a way toward health is not 
not the path. Yeah, because that's that's all part of the same dogma that really got us here in the first place. And maybe that's why we automatically fall into the patterns and say these kinds of things, which I think is telling in itself that even though we're talking about this topic, we still have that tendency to use these words that upon later reflection we know are maybe not exactly accurate. So what we're really trying to do is create an environment that's more conducive to the, to the bacteria that we want. And the sun and the line would be that. Right. And like, for instance, in the hospitals when you just completely carpet bomb and wipe out all the bacteria with a disinfectant in a way of an antibiotic, that's that same dogma that we're trying to avoid in the wordage that we're using. Yeah, the, also, I think I used the, the terms uh, infrared um, interchangeably with ultraviolet. Infrared was the word that I used, but in my mind, I was thinking ultraviolet. Uh, so. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> you beg forgiveness. My, my bad. That's All me right. winning. All right. Well, thank you again for listening, and uh, come back next week as we do another in the series of extreme indoor environments. Cheers. Yes.